0: Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for October, November and December 2012, titled Growing in Christ. It's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 5, October 27 to November 2, Growing in Christ, Sabbath afternoon, October 29. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we open your word again this week, and we come to the theme lesson for this quarter. And as we do so, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be here to guide us as we open your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Colossians chapter two, verse fifteen. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Let's read that again from Colossians 2.15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And the key thought for this week is, Christ's victory on the cross defines the scope of the victory into which the Christian may grow. The amendment to the Church's fundamental beliefs voted at the 58th General Conference Session in 2005 was titled Growing in Christ. When the statement is analysed, the following significant points become evident. Jesus has defeated satanic powers and evil forces. Through Christ, victory over these powers, including their past manifestations in a person's life, is possible. And finally... There are conditions in order for these victories to be realised in a person's experience. These points will occupy our attention for the next three studies. This week, we will be looking at the nature of the victory that Christ won on the cross. By His victory, not only over sin, but over every other force that works against humanity and God's creation, Christ has achieved salvation for us. As we seek to understand what Christ has accomplished in our behalf, we will be better prepared to understand what we can have in our lives now. His victory can be our victory, if we claim it for ourselves, because no matter what Jesus has done for us, we must choose to accept it. Victory is not automatically given to anyone. Sunday, October 28, The Redemption Christianity is a religion of redemption, in which people are saved from the devastation of sin through what someone else, in this case Jesus, has done for them. Thus, the Christian religion may be distinguished from a religion of law, where one may rectify his or her doom by one's own efforts or doing good works. We need this redemption because, according to the Bible, people without Christ are enslaved to sin, John 8.34 tells us that, and under a death sentence, Romans 6.23. They cannot free themselves from these two conditions. The sinner's plight requires outside intervention, and this intervention comes at a price. As the New Testament so clearly teaches, that price was the death of Jesus on the cross. Question. What do the following passages reveal about the concept of redemption? First of all, Isaiah 35 and verse 10. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy, and gladness, and sorrow, and sighing shall flee away. And then Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Galatians 4 verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. And that reads, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. And Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12. And that reads, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And finally, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 18 and 19 knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. From the New Testament point of view, Christ's redemptive death is sacrificial and substitutionary. He took our place sacrificing himself in our behalf, suffering our fate for us so that we don't have to suffer it ourselves. Though some reject this idea because they don't like the notion of someone suffering in place of another, especially in the place of someone who is guilty, that's the heart and soul of the gospel message. From the book The Apostolic Preaching of the Cross by Leon Morris, published in 1965, page 61, we read, When the New Testament speaks of redemption, then, unless our linguistics are at fault, it means that Christ has paid the price of our redemption. To the extent that the price paid must be adequate for the purchase in question, this indicates an equivalence, a substitution. So to finish today... Think of some things in your own life that you find are impossible to change. Things that you are absolutely helpless to do anything about. In the same way, we are absolutely helpless to save ourselves. How does this realisation help us to better understand what Christ did for us on the cross? More important, how should this amazing truth of redemption impact our lives? Monday, October 29, Slaves Set Free When we understand redemption as freedom from a form of enslavement that required external assistance, we may conclude that sinful humanity is bound by a power or influence stronger than itself. The question that needs to be answered is, by what power or agency has sinful humanity been so bound? Question Study Romans chapter 6 verses 12 to 13. Notice that in verses 18, 20, and 22, Paul speaks about freedom. What is the context of this freedom? What is Paul talking about here? Beginning at verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts, and do not present out your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey... You are the ones slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that, though you were slaves to sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think about what Paul says in these verses, along with what he says in Romans 6, 1-11. Paul talks about what happens in Christian baptism. Here he sets forth some things that were to have died with Christ in baptism. Having spelled these out, Paul challenges the Christian who has been united with Christ, to manifest the lordship of Christ, who has freed him or her from the power of sin. Let's read Romans 6, 1 to 11. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, Our Lord. The bottom line here is that, according to Paul, no matter how corrupted our nature has been by sin, through Christ we can be free from its enslaving power. Who hasn't seen just how devastating this kind of slavery can be? Who hasn't seen lives ruined by sin? Who hasn't struggled with the power of sin in their own lives? It is by far the greatest foe that we as human beings will ever face. What makes it so bad is that it's a slavery not imposed solely from without. Rather, it's one that comes from within us. How are we freed from a slavery, a bondage that originates in us, even in our very nature? The answer, as we've seen in the above verses, comes only from the power of Jesus, who won the victory for us and who offers us the power to overcome. Through Christ We are not only forgiven our sins, we are to be dead to them, and we are freed from them. They no longer have to dominate us. These are amazing promises, powerful promises, promises that all who profess the name of Christ must claim for themselves. So, to finish today, what has your own experience been with the enslaving and brutal power of sin? How can you learn to better grasp hold of the wonderful promises of freedom that have been offered to us in Jesus? (music) Tuesday, October thirty. Principalities and Powers, Part 1 The Bible pictures our world as being under the dominion of evil forces that seek to control and to ultimately destroy us. The great controversy is, of course, the result of the Lord's work against these powers. The great news is that, after the cross, victory against them is assured, even though the battle continues to rage. The conflict is dramatic, cosmic and fierce, but the victory belongs to God, a victory in which we can share by faith. Question. Study the following texts. What do these reveal to us about the reality of this battle? What great hope and promises are found in them for us? First of all, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. And that reads... He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And then 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19. And that reads, one more page, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The next text is John, chapter 12, and verse 31. And that reads, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And in the same book, John, chapter 16, and verse 11, of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And Ephesians, chapter 6, and verse 12. And that reads, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. And that reads, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And in the same book, chapter 2 and verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And finally, Romans chapter 8 and verse 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created being, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Many people of the 21st century world Function on the basis of a scientific worldview. This means that things are examined mainly from a naturalistic perspective, the only perspective that many believe to be valid. For these people, a world populated with evil forces and dominated by demonic hostile powers is predominantly viewed as a holdover from an age of superstition and ignorance. In contrast, The Bible presents, as part of the reality of our world, an array of hostile forces comprising demonic principalities and powers. Though the biblical worldview incorporates naturalistic and scientific concepts, it certainly doesn't base all understanding of reality on them. The Bible's view of the world is large enough to encompass both natural and supernatural worldviews. In Romans 8.38, for instance, the word translated as principalities is the Greek word archai, A-R-C-H-A-I, which could refer to civil rulers as well as to supernatural powers that attempt to exercise evil dominion over men. In Ephesians 6.12, the literal phrase, the rulers of the darkness of this age, could also be translated as world rulers of this darkness. From the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 6, page 1044, we read, Clearly, Paul is referring to personal evil spirits who exercise a degree of authority over the world. Compare the phrase, Prince of this world, describing Satan in John 12 and 14 and 16. The personality of the devil was also clear to the Revelator in Revelation 2.10 and 12.10. So to finish today... How does the reality of the great controversy reveal itself in your own life? In what ways do you sense the struggle? What's the only way to be defeated in the struggle when you have the promise of Christ's victory in your behalf? Wednesday, October 31, Principalities and Powers, Part 2. As we saw, the word translated as principalities could refer to world rulers or supernatural powers that attempt to exercise control over human life. Another Greek word that is used in conjunction with the word principalities, archaia, is the word stoikia, which literally means elements or elementary substances or principle. The contexts in which stoichia is used reveal other aspects of this fallen world from which we have been redeemed by Christ's victory on the cross. Question: Given the context of what we're talking about, from what other things have we been delivered through Christ other than literal evil powers? Our first text is Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. And chapter 2, verse 14. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And then, verse 20 Therefore if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations and Galatians chapter 4 and verse 1 to 11 Now I say that the heir as long as he is a child does not differ at all from a slave though he is a master of all but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But, when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you lest I have laboured for you, in vain. The New Testament, especially Paul's concept of the powers, seems to connect spiritual beings to forces or powers that rule over human life outside of Christ. These could be political, social, traditional, even religious. The word stoichia, as used in Galatians 4 verses 3 and 9, talks of the system of heathenism from which the Christians in Galatia had been delivered. It is used also in reference to aspects of the ancient Jewish legal system. In Colossians 2 verse 8 and verse 20, it refers metaphorically to worldly philosophical principles. In the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 4, pages 198 and 199, we read, In Isaiah twenty-four twenty-one, the phrase, The kings of the earth, upon the earth, implies that the high ones that are on high refer to Satan and the evil angels. Paul refers to Satan as the prince of the power of the air, in Ephesians 2.2, 2, and to the unseen leaders of evil as the rulers of the darkness of this world that abide in high places, Ephesians 6.12. In 1 Corinthians 15:24 and 25, Paul refers to their subjugation by Christ. Isaiah foresees the time when evil angels and evil men will all suffer punishment. In short, the Bible teaches us that Life is ruled by a series of powers, both personal and impersonal. Without Christ, man is at the mercy of these powers, in whatever form they come. The pressures of the present moment, not to mention the fear of the future, as well as the demands of life, society, tradition, and ideology, all can exert influences that can separate a person from the Lord. But, through Christ, we have been acquitted not only of our sins, but also From our bondage to these powers We need to understand the nature of that victory And claim it as our own So to finish today Besides the supernatural realities that exist in our world With what other forces and influences do you struggle? Forces and powers that work against you and your faith? First, identify what they are And then claim the promises you have in Jesus In order to gain victory over them Thursday, November 1. A murderer revealed. Christ came into the world for the purpose of destroying the works of the devil. Hebrews 2:14 tells us this. He did this at the cross. But if Christ has been victorious over the devil and principalities and powers, why are we still wrestling with principalities and powers? Why is the devil still able to roam about like a lion looking for prey to devour? Question: Study Colossians 2:15 carefully. Look at the three different verbs that Paul uses in order to describe What happens at the cross? How do we understand what this means? Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. First Christ spoiled, as it says in the King James Version, or disarmed, as it says in the New King James Version, the powers. The Greek word is apokduamai, which literally means to strip off one's clothes. Here it may mean that the powers were stripped of their weapons. What weapons? Well, the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 7, page 205, reads, Christ's life of victory, culminating in Calvary, spelled the doom of the devil. Satan's disguise was torn away. His methods of operation were laid open before the angels and the entire heavenly universe. He had exposed his true colours. By his cross, Jesus Christ stripped from the principalities and powers of darkness both their robe of office and authority as princes of this world and their armour of strength in their warfare against right. Question. Christ made a show openly, or made a public display, of the powers. How were the powers exposed publicly at the cross? What image of them became evident? Well, let's look at John chapter 8 and verse 44. And that reads, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. After Christ's death, Satan saw, as we read from The Desire of Ages, page 761, that his desire was torn away, his administration was laid open before the unfallen angels and before the heavenly universe. He had revealed himself as a murderer. By shedding the blood of the Son of God, he had uprooted himself from the sympathies of the heavenly beings. Henceforth, his work was restricted. Whatever attitude he might assume, he could no longer await the angels as they came from the heavenly courts, and before them accuse Christ's brethren of being clothed with the garments of blackness and the defilement of sin. The last link of sympathy between Satan and the heavenly world was broken. Yet Satan was not then destroyed. The angels did not even then understand all that was involved in the great controversy. The principles at stake were to be more fully revealed. And for the sake of man, Satan's existence must be continued. Man as well as angels must see the contrast between the prince of light and the prince of darkness. He must choose whom he will serve. End of quote. Friday, November 2 From the book Testimonies for the Church, volume 6, page 41, we read A battle unseen by human eyes is being waged The army of the Lord is on the ground, seeking to save souls Satan and his host are also at work Trying in every possible way to deceive and destroy Day by day the battle goes on If our eyes could be opened to see the good and evil agencies at work There would be no trifling, no vanity, no jesting or joking. If all would put on the whole armour of God and fight manfully the battles of the Lord, victories would be gained that would cause the kingdom of darkness to tremble. And from Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, pages 29 and 30, As men seek to come into harmony with God, they will find that the offence of the cross has not ceased. Principalities and powers and wicked spirits in high places are arrayed against all who yield obedience to the law of heaven. Therefore, so far from causing grief, persecution should bring joy to the disciples of Christ, for it is an evidence that they are following in the steps of their master. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. Number one, look at Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15 a little more closely. Let's do that. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was, in all points, tempted as we are, yet without sin. Death as an agent of enslavement is clearly depicted here. Notice too the emphasis on our fear of death. Why do we fear death so much? How does the Fear hold us, as the text said, in a kind of slavery How should the Christian, free in Christ, view death? Two, for some people the whole idea of demonic forces is silly superstition For others, this fear dominates their entire life How as Christians can we strike the right balance in our understanding of the reality of these powers and yet at the same time understand what Christ has done for us in the fight against them? Three, what are some examples of how evil forces control or influence various worldly powers? Four, how does the great controversy worldview help us to understand the continued existence of evil, even after Christ's victory on the cross? Inside Story Our Inside Story this week is The Breadcasters. A boy stood on the bank of a lake, tossing bread crumbs into the water. Small minnows and larger fish came to the surface to grab the crumbs. I thought of Ecclesiastes eleven one, which says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. The Seventh-day Adventist Church's radio and television ministries are like that boy in the bread. We are broadcasters. We cast the bread of life onto the waters of the world and pray for hungry fish. Augustin Martínez had been struggling for years to understand the book of Daniel. One night he dreamed that a figure dressed in white told him that soon he would understand these messages. Augustin awoke and turned on the radio. The first words he heard were, as it says in Daniel 7. The program was La Voz de la Esperanza, the Spanish language Voice of Hope. Augustine listened carefully and found answers to many of his questions. In time, he wrote to Lavoz and said that he, his wife and his son had been baptised as a result of the message he had heard on the radio. Sometimes, the bread of life arrives just in time to save a desperate soul. Elena was a teenager when she left home to find the love she had never known from her father. What she found was heartache and AIDS. Too sick to live alone, she returned to her mother, the only person who had loved her unconditionally. Maria's heart broke to see her daughter wasting away. She felt she had failed the one she loved most, and she decided to end her daughter's suffering and then kill herself. She went to the dresser and got the gun she kept there. But as she walked toward her daughter's bedroom, the radio on the bureau turned itself on, and a voice said, "'Even through your suffering and pain,' "'Jesus understands.'" Shaken, Maria sat down and listened as the speaker's words brought comfort to her suffering heart. At the end of the program, the announcer gave a phone number. Maria dialed it immediately. A member of La Voz staff visited Maria and Elena and comforted them with God's promises of eternal love. Elena died knowing she'd see Jesus again. Maria was baptised Maria is convinced that an angel turned on the radio so she could hear the words of life and hope. Your mission offerings help to support Christian media around the world. We may never know this side of heaven what blessings will come from the bread we cast upon the waters through our offerings and prayers. But God knows.